I have on the line Pauline Black from Selector. How are you going, Pauline? I'm going really fine. I hope you are too, Brad. Yeah, I'm doing great, thank you. And I've just uh, explained to our listeners that you're going to be in town very soon. You have been around the scene. I think it's going to be something like your 30th uh, anniversary, this tour, correct? I think it's far longer than that. I think it's 36 years we've been in existence since 1979. Oh my goodness, that is a long, long time. Tell us how how did you get how did you get started in the in the uh, in the selector? Well, a bunch of us kind of got together and were given a thousand pounds by Mr. Jerry Dammit, who was the founding father of the specials, um, to go in and record a single. And um, the single we recorded was on my radio, back with too much pressure, and um, it became a hit. So we began that way. Wow. And was that uh, a kind of ex- expectation when you started, that it would be something ongoing? I don't think any of us had any expectations at the beginning of where it might go. I mean, we didn't think that our first single was going to be a hit. Uh, when it was, then obviously we had to think of it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it doesn't stop still just because you have a hit. You have to have those as well. So... We then had to go on and record Three Minute Hero and uh, Missing Work, The Whisper, and uh, our album, the Too Much Pressure album, which probably people know us for, and uh, and the Celebrate the Bullet album, the follow-up to that. Wow. And you got to um, tour around for all the big acts of the day, all the big scar acts of the day, didn't you? Yes, all the big scar acts of the day, like Freshers Madness, all those kind of people, but also with others as well, Dexter's Midnight Runners. Uh, you know, we did shows with, I mean, shows with Hazel O'Connor, we did shows with, goodness me, I, I can't really think now, I mean, it's all a bit too numerous to mention. The yeah. Rucks, had the Rucks out there recently, didn't you? Oh, look, uh, I think they have been doing a, a bit of a sort of reunion tour, but obviously, uh, minus uh, the lead singer who passed away, I think, right back in the late... 70s or early 80s, didn't he? Tell us a little bit about um, your relationship with those other ska bands. Was it like a big happy family or was there a bit of uh, brotherly and sisterly um, competition going on? We were too busy, I think, really to make too much of that. I mean, at the beginning when we did the two-tone tour, obviously um, there was the specials, there was Madness and there was us all on the same tour bus. And uh, you had to kind of get along. I mean, it's not tour buses like they were in that. It was more like a school outing bus, really. Uh, one of those kind of 52-seaters or whatever it was. And um, so, yeah, I mean, we got along fine, you know. I mean, it's like young people. Young people are quite competitive, aren't they? And all those kind of things. And uh, sometimes being in a band doesn't bring out the best in certain, <laughs> in certain people. And uh, they may do things that, you know, you wouldn't normally do in that everyday kind of life, but it was all exciting and it's all a learning process. And it, yeah, it's uh, when you look back on it, I don't think it was a long time ago. So, do you have any um, never before revealed scandalous stories? Damn anyone to history forever. If I did, I wouldn't see you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know, you've got to ask the question, haven't you? And what is what was the relationship like? Because I know um, there was a great relationship between reggae and ska and the punk movement of the time. What was the ethos like among the bands? What was the the spirit? Was there a sort of a spirit of revolution going on? I would say there was a spirit of um, kind of 
it was more kind of cross fertilization you know, I mean, the music we were making was a hybrid between ska, reggae, punk, and rock. And I've always thought you know, that the best people are always hybrid. So the best music is always hybrid. It's always good to mix and match things and uh, see where you can go with that. Um, I don't really like music, particularly in a kind of purest form. In, in many senses, I guess it was like the um, at the time in England uh, there was a you know a very oppressive government. There was a a rise in the right and racism and all sorts of things happening. And I guess uh, did that tend to um, polarize people in terms of their political stances? Well, I would say one thing to you: so you think it's changed? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that was going to be one of my questions, you know, because I I sit there and I look at the world and I look at you know the rise of people like Donald Trump, you know, and and uh, and the and the radical right, and I just think now that radical right has become almost like the standard right and and does it ever make you feel like you know you've uh, you've been a person in your musical career who has uh, been outspoken um a critic of that sort of uh, um thinking and bigotism and racism does it make you feel sometimes a little like you're banging your head against a brick wall or only preaching to the converted with your music no not at all because i mean it's people like Donald Trump. I mean, they're full of hot air. I mean, those who shout loudest normally don't last the longest. I think there is a, a huge um, a groundswell um, of people who are, are really, really against whatever he has to say. And I mean, in all countries, it's not just in America, uh, in trying to run for the presidency. I think that people are quite outraged at what is happening in certain areas of the world. The whole of the refugee crisis that there is in Europe um, and the fact that uh, racism is still all pervasive and uh, much of of the world. Um, I I don't think that in any way this is uh, something which can't be fought against. And I think that there are plenty of people who are waking up to the idea that if you want to get rid of people like Trump, then the best thing to do is stand up and fight for what you do believe in. Yes, I, w- I can't say I can't say I I couldn't agree with you more on that. Uh, um, I think um, the there has been a big rise in in the awareness of the power of um, grassroots organising in society, and I think uh, people also recognise how the corporations the politicos and the uh and the media sort of band together as a as an axis of evil <laughs> to quote their own terminology that's absolutely true yeah but, you know it's uh, uh that that axis has a lot of power in the world but then so do ordinary people have a lot of power in the world particularly when they're united against you know sort of any form of fighting for justice for people you were releasing, uh, or we just have just released an album, um, Subculture, and there's a, a lot of those themes are touched on that album. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what has gone into that album in terms of your own um, artistic processes and what's informed that album? Well, it was quite strange because we started writing that album. I mean, the album came out last year in, in the UK in June of 2015, but we're obviously, we've toured it now for for almost a year, really, um, and are bringing that particular set over to Australia when we come. But in the run-up, obviously, songs have a certain genesis, and that genesis is probably six months prior to 2015. So a lot of the themes um, that 
kind of came, I suppose, to us on the record were being played out, if you like, like the whole kind of thing now that people recognize as Black Lives Matter. Because after um, Ferguson in America, um, the, the whole way that, you know, being black in America can um, lead to um, certain problems in terms of life expectancy. Songs like Breakdown came out of that particular conflict and other songs like Babble On um, uh, came out of the conflict that we could see was going on between um, Israel and Palestine in the Gaza Strip. Um, which happened in 2014. So it was a little bit like events have now caught up with the album, kind of thing, I mean. From my point of view, that being a band that has gone on for as long as we have gone on, just regurgitating the hits and being very content to be a heritage band is all well and good, and I like doing the hits, and I know that people like listening to them. But... You know, as a musician, I think just to have a sense of of, of, of of what you're doing, that's your job. Your job is to describe in some artistic way what is going on in this world. Um, and we just felt that on subculture, that's what we do. We'd have a look around and see what's going on and, you know, and try and put what we saw into our songs. That's what we always did. That's what we did with Too Much Pressure. That's what we did with Celebrate the Bullet. And uh, this particular one seems to have caught people's imagination and in Europe and in America. And, you know, hopefully it will. The songs when we turn up in Australia and do some of them, it will do the same there. What's your um, observations on the state of uh, protest music per se? It seems sometimes that music has become even more bubblegum and superficial or and and the, the serious commentators and 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 uh, agitators uh, are not even given airplay these days oh that may be true but that would be true there's always bubblegum music there's always you know, i mean that's why it's called pop music popular music isn't it and um and why radio uh, you know in it in existence in all countries, the very, very popular radio plays what's in the chart. But, you know, we don't really concern ourselves with that. I think that there are numerous people out there in the world who also don't concern themselves with that. And I think that in any decade, in any period of time, you can always find interesting artists who are doing or saying something about the human condition. Um, and, um, you know, that. Really, that's all I've got to say about it. We, hopefully, we are one of those. Now, there's been a little bit of um, controversy here in Australia recently regarding the amount of women that are represented, not only on um, you know popular chart, you know chart measurements of alternative music, even, but also just the amount of airplay women get. What's your? What's been your? You've had a, a pretty illustrious and long career in the industry. What's your um, observations and experience in being a bit of a minority in a man's world or a male-dominated arena? I haven't really concerned myself too, too much um, with uh, things of that nature. Um, I fight my corner from a black perspective. Um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're also marginalised yes. in terms of, of those. So you have to pick the fight. You think you can win the best. I dare say there are women out there who are much better equipped than I am to win that particular fight. Obviously, women's voice isn't marginalised. But you do the best you can. 
um, without having to sell your soul or, uh, you know, any other particular part of you in that to uh, further your cause. And um, what are some of your um, musical idols, if you like, or influences uh, from the past? From the past? Wow. That would be, um, I think, probably one of the very first artists I saw made me think, wow, maybe I can do that. It's probably um, seeing Little Stevie Wonder um, when he was still Little Stevie Wonder and very, very young. I'm not sure exactly how old he was. He was probably about 12, I should think. Um, and he came over to Britain. He was on a, a program that we had over here, you know, that everybody who was a school child at the time watched because it was the only popular, popular music program. And he was, I think he was doing um, Uptight, Out of Sight, that song, and he was playing harmonica as well. And there was just something that he exuded, that pure joy of, of, of playing, being involved in music and everything about him, that it just captured my imagination as a child. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Um, and the other person was, called, was Minnie Small, who did My Boy Lollipop. Um, that was the first time, really, I guess, that uh, a reggae beat um, became very popular in, in, in the UK um, and, and around the world, I think, as well. If I think of black female artists, Joan Armour Trading is probably the first one that comes to mind. I was a massive uh, fanboy. Did artists like that also um, bolster your sense of potential? I mean, Joan Armour Trading um, hails from about 25 miles away from where I live. Um, she comes from Birmingham, and uh, I live in Coventry, so it's just a little way up the motorway, as it were. Um, and she played guitar, and she sang. And when I first began, before I uh, joined the selector, I also did that around folk clubs and things like that, and I sang and played guitar, wrote some music, covered some other music as well. Um, and, uh, you know, when she first hit with Love and Affection, I mean, that was just the most sublime track ever. So there were very, very few women around at that time um, doing, you know, her, there was people like Joni Mitchell, here, what, Julie Felix, um, uh, you know, those kind of people. And so that was women's route into music at that time. They didn't quite so much kind of, you know, front rock bands with you people like Janis Joplin and things like that. But fortunately, I was kind of around in a time when women were beginning to come to the fore in music. Uh, there's a very famous photo, I think, of myself and Polly Sprecherine of X-Ray Spec, um, Viv Alpine of The Split, Chrissy Hind of Pretenders, Debbie Harry from um, Blondie, and, and Sue from The Banshees. And we're all in this one photo. And that was pretty much a snapshot, I guess, of 1980 in the UK of those females who were making music that people deemed interesting. What, what sort of stuff are you listening to these days? Is there is there any um, contemporary music that's really, really ca- capturing your imagination? Uh, they tend to be female artists. I mean, I'm a great fan of Laura Mzula. Um, I'm a fan of SKA Twigs. I'm a fan of Kareem uh, Bessie Ray. Um, you know, those kind of artists. It's, um, I quite like introspection. I'm even a fan of Björk. In fact, I'm a long-time fan of Björk. <laughs> yeah, she's, uh, she's pretty awesome. Yeah, she is. She yeah. Is. 
Okay, fantastic. And look, I, there's a, a question I needed to ask you. I noticed on um, uh, Three Men in Black that um, on the, your album that you did with uh, there's other great uh, famous personalities of, of uh, the music scene um, that uh, there's a Hawkwind cover. And I was wondering whose idea that was. Are you the Hawkwind fan or is it uh, Jake Burns or is it one of the others? Um, I think that was um, Jean-Jacques Bernal. Ah, uh, right. Uh, I think. Uh, uh, what song are you referring to? Uh, yeah, you do Quark, Strangers and Charm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, 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 that was, that was Jacques, Jean-Jacques. That's uh, JJ's thing, that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm such a, I'm a bit of a Hawkwind fan as well, so. I think it's um, pretty, uh, yeah, it's pretty out there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I was uh, I was always um, surprised that uh, the four of you got together from uh, from similar era, but quite different uh, musical styles. I, I guess you'd have to say. Well, no. You see, people often think that, but I, I think because um, if you didn't live through that era of time, which would have been kind of mid seventies, I guess, to kind of early eighties. You didn't live through that era. You did. You wouldn't understand that all of the different kind of music all fed off each other. You know, I, if it hadn't been for uh, John Lydon um, in the Sex Pistols going on radio over here and playing dub reggae tunes that he was getting from Jamaica, it wouldn't have opened people's ears up in this country to reggae music. And when Bob Marley came over here to play reggae music, he really loved the fact that White Punk turned up to his gig. So there was a lot of, you know, like, ebb and flow between people. People's ears got opened up, and they were prepared to take chances and go and listen to something which was different, and then maybe incorporate it back into their music. Um, and then, of course, you've got people like the police coming along, um, using that reggae in, in, in different ways and, of course, becoming super famous. But to my mind, there were better bands than that. People like the rock, they came along and they mixed up reggae with punk music and made something I thought that was, uh, you know, really quite amazing. And likewise, we mixed up star with punk music and made two music. So there was, like I said before, there was a lot of cross-fertilization. And that's where music gets interesting. It doesn't get interesting when it's just purest rock or it's purest anything, really. That's the Dullville. It's just different kinds of ice cream, isn't it? Yes, I guess you could say it's a bit of a metaphor for society, really. Sometimes Don Letts has been credited with being the, the person who kind of brought reggae and ska and the Jamaican sound to the punk uh, rock audience. Did you have any interactions with Don? I actually had interactions with Don about a month ago because he's making a documentary at the moment. Oh, there you go. About once or twice a year. I mean, you know, we're, we're about the same age group and, uh, you know, he's always in and out and around and stuff like that. And he has DJs on a, a six music um, station uh, over here and occasionally I do that too. So, so yeah, very much. I mean, it was Don and uh, The Clash who um, were very much into uh, reggae music, particularly because of where they lived in London, in West London, um, which was around Notting Hill and the Labyrinth Grove area. That was a real hot spot of, um, of uh, you know, all things kind of reggae at that time. So, yeah, uh, it, a whole load of people helped bring that to the fore. 
not just them. I mean, it was also the actual homegrown reggae here with Steel Pulse. Um, I always remember in Steel Pulse, who hailed from Birmingham, exactly the same as in Armour Trading. And um, Steel Pulse uh, came out with uh, a called Ku Klux Klan, which was um, an incredible symbol. And they ended up on television. And um, they had the white hoods on with just the eyes showing. That, uh, and here were black people showing us on, 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 on British television, kind of, you know, what the Ku Klux Klan were into, these arch races from America. It wow. was all very, uh, pretty heavy. Yeah, I'm not sure you got away with that in Australia. <laughs> no, no, I think um, I think some of the stuff people got away with back then politically and in all sorts of uh, contexts people would not get away with these days. No, indeed. So I'm speaking with Pauline Black from The Selector. Pauline, you're not just the front lady for one of the all-time greatest ska bands and from the uh, two-tone scene of the 80s. You have loads of other projects and bits and pieces you've worked on and are working on. Do you want to tell us a little about... Well, I, you know, like I said, um, I, I, I did some D- DJing, things like that. I wanted the radio stations over here, Six Music, which plays uh, pretty alternative stuff, I guess. Um, it's certainly not mainstream kind of pop. I also, I, I wrote a book in recent times, so uh, basically a two-tone memoir um, of, of mine. And also I present stuff um, for TV. And soon I'll be working for the BBC, which is like your ABC over there, uh, on a history of pop. I'm presenting one of the episodes about it. Wow! And wow. Uh, is that part of uh, is that part of how you uh, ran into Don Letts? Was that part of that documentary, or is that some other no, project? Don's, Don's project. Um, what what Don's trying to do is rehabilitate the skinhead <laughs> and uh, show what what the skinhead came out of. You know, and essentially skinhead. At the beginning, it could be either black or white, and um, and very much it was uh, rooted in uh, working class subculture that happened to like uh, well star music as it was then and bluebeat rock steady and, and did an awful lot in this country to further uh, music um, for for other to hear. So, um, but I think that unfortunately the media got hold of the idea, you know, in some way or shape or form that. All skinheads are all inherently racist, which couldn't be further from the truth. That's not to say that some aren't, but then there are an awful lot of people walking around in normal clothing, isn't there? Um, perfectly suitable haircuts <laughs> um, that, 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 that are, are, are racist, and you wouldn't know. That's true. And I know some of these groups are also, uh, you know, the skinheads might be the, the foot soldiers, but the, the guys with the suits on are the ones feeding them the hatred and the vitriol from uh, from the back rooms, then the media and the politi- politicians are uh, fueling that even further. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, the, the, the game is is to keep us divided, isn't it? That's correct. Um, and, um, you know, those in the suits make sure that it happens at all costs because then, I mean, then you know, we take our eyes off who the real problem is. Uh, this is just a sidetrack. I, I noticed recently people in the media talking about Margaret Thatcher's legacy, you know, in glowing terms. And, and ha- I, I was living in the UK at that time of uh, during the Thatcher era. And when I heard this, I thought, 
am I am I hearing? Is my hearing? Is my brain? Am I on drugs? What's what are they talking about? Everyone knows what Margaret Thatcher did. You know they were lauding her as a as a person who helped bring down apartheid and this and that and the other. And I thought, are they really whitewashing history in such uh, so so grossly as this? What's your impression in the UK of the legacy or the memory of Margaret Thatcher in the in people's minds? Well. Very, very many working-class people um, in 1979 when she came to power and then onwards all the way through, uh, say, the 80s when, they, you know, she just let loose from unions, basically, and just union bashed her way um, across the entire country, sold a vision of Britain which um, was absolutely no friend to the working person at all. Um, it was They universally loathed her. And uh, when she died recently, I, quite a vast amount of people were quite happy about that. Uh, we have a conservative government at the moment. You know, the people who are in power now are really such as children. So it's no surprise, really, that they uh, lord her in such terms. To say something as ridiculous as she, she brought down a party in, in South Africa is the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard. I mean, she probably did more to perpetuate it. Than, um, than anyone else. Yes, I, I couldn't agree with you more. As a world, definitely as a world leader, she was uh, she was a full supporter of the regime, and that's what I just couldn't understand. That it doesn't seem like it's that long ago that it, it transpired. Yet already somehow, you know, her image is being given a total um, facelift, and the history is being rewritten. And, you know, it's like, in my mind, it's like um, Ronald Reagan being credited with bringing down the uh, Soviet <laughs> Russia. You know, he was, he was a senile fool. You know, everybody who was around at the time knew that. But somehow people are celebrating him as some great uh, political uh, mover and shaker. Uh, well, anyway. indeed. I mean, you know, I go even further than that. He was a B-movie actor. But <laughs> there you go. Thatcher came to power 36 years ago. I mean, these are generational things, aren't they? Yes. Um, you know, at least two generations have been born now who never knew who she was. So well, that said, it, they, they did inherit, though, the... Uh, the the world that she left behind, and she left a, she she did make a lot of changes to things and the way they happened in the UK. I know that, and certainly those changes rippled out around the world. Well, yeah, and uh, and what is the result of that now? We have people working on zero hour contracts. We have people, you know, being thrown out of um, houses um, that they have because you know. Uh, they're, they're not using all the bedrooms in the house. This is called a bedroom tax. Oh, I've heard about that. It's going on over here. So, I mean, you know, I personally know someone who has two disabled daughters, but because it's deemed that the girl can room, she's been thrown out of her own flat and put in a much smaller space. And disability benefit is being actually away from people who are wheelchair bound and all that because they actually can't work it's not a fact that they would like to work they actually physically can't work but they're deemed you know um as being able to work uh this is um a government which is just you know waging war really on working people 
Yes, we have a similar uh, style of government here uh, in Australia, unfortunately, who I know our last uh, Prime Minister, they seem to change every five minutes according to popular whim. He cited Margaret Thatcher as the person he aspired to, and I just thought, you know, really, really difficult for me to um, know that we have a Prime Minister who lauds her as some great inspirational political figure. <laughs> it's quite, it's quite <laughs> horrible, really. So uh, back to the music. You're playing on Friday night. What can people expect from your concert? What amazing stuff have you got up your sleeve? Oh, well, they can expect an hour and a half set. They can expect, um, well, they can expect all the hits. They can expect various tracks, cold off sort of uh, Too Much Pressure and um, the Celebrate the Bullet album and also from our new album, Subculture. Um, it's a set that we've been touring now for a good few months, so I mean it's well bedded in, and I, you know, defy anyone to say what's new and what's old. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. All right, well, thank you so much for talking to us. When you were coming to town, it didn't even occur to me to try and uh, get to talk with you because I've been such a fan of your work for all these years and it didn't occur to me that a little old me will get to talk with Pauline Black. So thank you so much for taking the time. I will now play, I think I'll play a track off uh, Subculture. I'll play your single, Walk the Walk. Do you want to give us a little intro to that? Uh, Walk the Walk is just basically, uh, you know, it's, if you believe in something, then we'll have to make sure... All in black, and um, uh, we look forward to seeing you on Friday night. Our pleasure. Thank you, Brett. Bye.